During most of our adult life, we fall into one trap after another only to have God get us free from that trap. Certainly God warns us about the trap, but often we fall into the trap anyway. It's really the nature of man, the natural man, to compete, to exalt himself above other people. But when you have envy and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. James chapter 3, verse 16. So if you're involved in a problem right now and there's a great deal of confusion, Look for envy and strife as the root of the problem. We work to outdo other people in education. We work to outdo other people in physical appearance. Especially women do this. By our achievements, we exalt ourselves. It is natural for us to do this one way or another. But the Apostle St. Paul says, They that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We read that in two sections of Scripture. First, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It is natural for us to do these things, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So after we are born again, bit by bit, God changes us from the natural man to the godly man or woman. But let's look at some of the things the natural man does 1 Corinthians chapter 6, start at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We did these things before we were born again. We were in these traps. Let's look at that abuser of ourselves with mankind. People today get into the bondage of credit and they live a way of life that's very unwise. Charging things, paying a small portion each month in order to have things. They abuse themselves with mankind, taking up the way of the world. Then coronavirus hits, 
the job market changes. They still have the mortgages. They still have the car payments. They then get in the food lines in their new cars to get free food. That's the way of this world. The way of God is we can use this world without abusing it. We learn to go in the way of God and to abstain from going in the way of man. It is a very hard yoke to be in debt. It's a very hard yoke to follow the ways of this world. And as we approach the end time, if you can get free from the bondages of this world, it will be wonderful. And make your goal to go in the way of God. The way you get free is just by asking God to help you to get free. There was a time a few years ago when I lived in Lubbock, Texas, and I played bridge at the Duplicate Bridge Center. As I sat there trying to beat the other people in bridge, I would think of Jesus and Paul, and I would think, I just can't see either one of them doing what I'm doing. So I began praying, God, please help me to get free from this. In a short period of time, some circumstances arose which did allow me to get free, and I never went back to playing bridge again. It's such a hard yoke. You're going to find the ways we learn from the world are a very hard yoke. For example, I moved to Dallas, Texas in 1960 to teach at a high school. I was an orchestra director. One day in the teacher's lounge, another teacher said, Hey, Joan, you want to go to with us this weekend to the football game? And I said, Football game? I was in marching band in college. They forced us to go to the football games, and as soon as the halftime was over, they allowed us to leave, and my friends and I left. I couldn't imagine anyone choosing to go to a football game. And then this person said, it only costs $6. And then I thought, you pay to go to a football game? I was forced to go to football games, but to think of anyone paying to go, well, I was indoctrinated by these people and my own desire to be around people and to do things. And I ended up going to football games, and it didn't take long before I learned what it was to be a football fan. If you want a hard yoke in life, be a football fan. One of our, the one, a woman in our church group um, had a taste of this. She uh, was not a fan of any sport, but she had adult age children who had graduated from uh, Virginia Tech. So she decided she would go to football games at Virginia Tech. 
She went to the first game and they won. And she said, oh, this is fun. So she looked forward to the next game. She went to the next game and they lost badly. And she said, this is terrible. <laughs> she said, it's like being on a roller coaster. She said, I can't stand this. Well, fortunately for her, she got out of it at that point and did not continue in being a fan. If you have ever been a fan of any type of sporting team, you know how terribly difficult it is. Through the years, I prayed often for God to get me free. I'm not sure how sincere I was in that prayer. It's so easy to pray it in February when your team is not playing. But then your team starts having preseason in August, and it all surfaces again. Getting free from being a fan is very hard. Even to this day, I watch football. I'm not the kind of fan I used to be where I grieved over losing games. But I watch the fans when the television camera show them. And it's so hard. Often I say aloud, there is nothing good about being a football fan or any kind of fan. It is a work of the flesh, totally a work of the flesh. It is a very hard yoke. You will be in for much disappointment and grief, but how do you get free once you have become a fan? The only way I know to get free is to turn to God and sincerely pray that he will help you get free. For it's a very powerful yoke of man. And as we go through this life, we fall into many traps that seem like a good thing at the time, but end up being a very difficult yoke. And we know God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. And we've stepped into some way of the world, whether it's death to get things or being a football fan, supporting your school, so to speak, or supporting your country. What is your country? Well, after you're born again, everything changes. We are not at all like we were before we were born again, are we? And bit by bit, God breaks these things off of us. Look at Hebrews 11 for a moment. Let's start at verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, 
and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Sometimes I watch the evening news, national news, and most of the time, nothing makes any sense to me that I see. The stories don't make any sense. The things that people are doing don't make any sense. Being a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. Basically, we as Christians are just waiting for the return of Jesus, where he takes us off this earth, takes us to the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And also in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be taken. There is no sorrow. There's no pain. No physical pain. There's no emotional pain. And there's total righteousness. It's a new heaven and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. In 1980, I was in Europe. I was in France for one, as one place. And as I was sitting there on a park bench and people passed by and they were talking, it all seemed so pleasant to me. When I came back to the United States, it didn't seem at all pleasant. If you sit on a park bench and people pass by and they're talking and you hear them, and then I realized... The reason it's so pleasant in France is I don't understand what they are saying since I don't know the French language. The works of man are very, very hard and put us in great bondage. The works of God are simple. They're not complex. They're not overly expensive. We fall into these various types of competitions. Sometimes at your job, you're competing and striving with another person to get that promotion. That's a very hard yoke. And you think of things whereby you might exalt yourself. This is totally opposite from the way of God. Jesus made of himself no reputation. He gave up the godliness that he had with God to come to earth as a human being, being created as a human being in order to die for our sins. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have you ever just sat down and thought about this making yourself of no reputation? You don't have to have an expensive car to impress people. You don't have to live in the right part of town to impress people. You don't have to wear this, these clothes to impress people. Haven't you struggled to get those things to exalt yourself above people? Most of us have. You don't have to have college degrees to overcome people and impress people when you're going in the way of God. We were going in the way of the world, so we got all these college degrees and we did all of these things to rise above everybody. That is the flesh, and 
Paul says, they that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's look once again at a scripture on this subject. Galatians chapter 5. Paul says in verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. See, God frees us from the very things that we work so hard to get. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, following the Spirit of God, following the ideas that are from God, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, arguing, striving, emulations, exalting yourself above other people, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Throughout our entire life, there is a strife between the Spirit of God and the flesh of man. We choose to go in the way of the Spirit, and every time we do that, the flesh is kept down and kept crucified with Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. See how opposite the way of the world is, the way of man is, the natural man and his way versus the way of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, loving that person. But the natural man wants to get ahead of that person and fight that person and be above that person. Now, if you go in the way of God, the irony is you will be above the person by going in the way of God though you do not make it your goal to outdo the person. One time my cleaning woman came to me and she said to me, don't you ever feel you have to keep up with the Joneses? And I said, what? And she said, don't you ever feel that you have to keep up with other people and get ahead of them? Well, I pretty much majored in getting ahead of people until I became born again. When I was 37... 38, I was born again. 
everything changed. And then the rest of my life, God made it a goal, scripture by scripture, to conform myself to the scripture, which makes you opposite from the way of the world. But by conforming yourself to the scripture, one scripture at a time, you do break loose from these goals of other human beings, which is to beat other people, to rise in your jobs to a high position where you're above. But by the way of God, you are above and not below. Think about Joseph. He was sold into slavery when he was 17 years old. He was taken off into Egypt as a slave. He had nothing. At 17, he had nothing. He had no, no one to help him. No parents visible. No, no one. His brothers are the ones who sold him into slavery out of jealousy. So he gets down into Egypt and they sell him to Potiphar who is a captain of the guards and the service and the king, Pharaoh. God gives Joseph wisdom and his master sees it. So he keeps putting Joseph in positions of authority because of the wisdom God has given him. So Joseph rises above, but by God. You almost can't keep from rising above if you're following God. For God makes it possible his way for you to get ahead in life. But you do it by what God tells you to do. And by the gifts that God has given you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we read, God will make you the head and not the tail. You will be above only and not beneath if you do what God says. So one scripture at a time. We do one scripture at a time. And all of a sudden, we're the head and not the tail. The first scripture I ever remember doing was in Romans, and it's a scripture which says, Owe no man anything except to love one another. I set about to get out of debt and to stay out of debt. And I kept that scripture before me day and night, and I prayed for God to help me get out of debt, which he did. When you are out of debt, you are above and not beneath, but you're above by following God, by godliness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. When you're following the Spirit of God, those will be the fruits from what you are doing. For example, in Ephesians 4, I believe it's verse 29. I came across that scripture a few years ago and started trying to do that scripture. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. As you sit there and you're about to speak, if you've been meditating in this verse of Scripture, then you are going to think, now, if I speak these words, will it edify the people that I'm around? Will it build them in the faith? Will it minister grace to the hearers? Therefore, a lot of the things our flesh wants to say, we don't say it because it would not be edifying to the other person. I spent several weeks in this scripture trying to do this, trying to bridle my tongue by this scripture, by analyzing, will this edify these people? One day, I was across the street visiting with my neighbors. It was the time that Mrs. Clinton was running against... um, whomever she ran against. I'm very non-political. I don't vote either direction. But I was interested in what would happen if she became president. I had a very silly thing that I was interested in, and I said, what would they call Mr. Clinton? Would he be called the first man? But anyway, I was interested in it, and I would watch the news from time to time. I didn't watch it all the time, but I would watch to see what was going on. I guess she was running against, it was Donald Trump. And they thought she had won the election, and at the last minute, she lost. Then my interest sort of faded away in politics. But... I was at my neighbor's house when she was running for president. And I wanted to say, what do you think about the election? But I was controlled by this scripture that I had been studying. And I I knew it would not edify my neighbors if I asked that question. It would stir up evil. But I wanted so badly to ask, what do you think about the election? And all this time I'm sitting there, I'm saying, God, please don't let me ask that. Finally, I got up and went home. Job said, I'll put my hand over my mouth to keep from speaking. That's how strong the flesh is. But the Spirit of God is stronger. God is stronger. So there is a way of escape when we are in these temptations. When we want to escape, we just simply say to God, please don't let me say that. Please don't let me do that. And many times I've been with another person and I've prayed that. And then when I left the person, I've realized I didn't say that thing I wanted to say. God controlled me. If you're confused right now about what you're trying to do, 
you're probably in envy or strife of some form. If you will turn to God and ask him to renew in you a right spirit and help you, that's certainly a prayer according to the will of God to help you to give up the envy and strife. That's a prayer that will be answered when that's what you want to have happen. God will make a way of escape for you. We have a promise. There's no temptation taken you except that which is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, I believe, is where that scripture is. We basically grab hold of God and don't let go. Please help me. Don't let me do this. Please help me. This is Joan Boney speaking, and I thank you for allowing me to share this with you today.